get started. Our God and Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your mercy and your kindness to us, O God. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord God, you are far better to us than we actually deserve. And God, we thank you and we're grateful for your word. We thank you that um, you revealed yourself to us so that we might know what pleases you and what your good and perfect will is, O God. So, Father, we ask that you would be with us, fill us with your spirit. God, help me to speak your word with clarity, empower God, and concern for your people. And I pray, God, that all the people who are here this day, that they will grow in their love for one another, O God, and they see you clear. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. So we are on session seven on court, um, marriage. Thank you. On marriage, session seven. We're just picking up last week. Um, last week you, uh, we did beautiful wives and considered husbands, and we ran out of time, so we're just picking up last week. If you have your handouts from last week, hopefully you do. Tori's bringing handouts right now. If you don't have a handout right now, please raise your hand. Okay, so we're just continuing from last week on Roman numeral three. We went through Roman numeral one and two last week, which, just as a brief recap, it was uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and um, it dealt with I'll just read you the script, the verses. Likewise, wives, submit to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the wearing, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in God's sight is very which in God's sight is very precious for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we ended up, we only got through verse four last week. And just as a recap, so we talked about how this passage of scripture is controversial with contemporary people. As soon as you hear the word, wives well, submit to your husbands, people start rolling their eyes. That's because their understanding of things are not informed by the scriptures, but by the world, right? And so submission is the duty of every Christian in various aspects. We've been called to submit to the government. We've been called to submit to our parents if, we, if we're children. We've been called to submit to our bosses. We've been called to submit to our elders. And this is just another aspect of that submission. That was one of the things that we talked about. So if you really wanna know what a person believes about submission, see how they submit to the government, see how they submit to their bosses. If they get to this area and then they start redefining it, Something's not clicking. Something's not right. They're, re they're intentionally redefining it in this area 
for some suspicious reason, right? So if they submit to the government without question, and then they get to this passage and start redefining it, then you have a problem, okay? Submission is not doing whatever somebody tells you. That is not a biblical definition of submission. Wives, you, we talked about how if your husbands try to tell you that you must sin, no, you have to obey God rather than men. That's not submission. It is not the, the submission is not the husband um, belittling you or telling you, beating you over the head, trying to get all of his preferences. That's not submission either. His role is to lead you to Christ. His role is to lead you to Christ in sanctification. That is his role, is to lead you in that area. And you should submit to him wherever possible, is what, what we talked about. And what, that's one of some of the things we talked about last week. Now, um, we also talked about how challenging that could be because men oftentimes fail at this. We're, we're, men are sinners just like women are, and that's not an excuse for you not to submit unless he's telling you to sin, right? Uh, that was, you know, I'm just kind of just giving you a recap. Um, also, we talked about how this particular situation was about women who were married to uh, men who were not Christians, how difficult of a situation that is for them to be in, and that at the time, a woman was expected to follow her husband in his religious uh, affairs, but if she's a Christian woman and he's not, that would be she wouldn't be able to do that. So it would look like she's being subversive or rebellious. So because she's not going to worship a pagan god, so then because of that reason, you want to be have this gentle and quiet spirit and submit as much as you can in order to mitigate this charge of potential charge of treason. So if you have a husband who's not a believer or he's, act, he's professing like he's a believer, but he's not acting like he's a believer, when he tells you to sin and you refuse, he's going to have a problem with it. He's going to call you unsubmissive. And he's going to say, you're being a traitor, but you're not. Okay? You are not supposed to follow any man, husband, anybody, into sin. Right? It's a submission unto Christ. Okay. Also, we talked about how um, submissive, submissive being that submission is willing. You should be willing to submit. Okay, and that all of this, all of this was to be a witness to the gospel, because we used, talked about the word likewise. How Christ submitted to the Father. That's the same way that wives should be submitting to their husbands. Right. And then we. Basically, we gave some application about how that would look or what that would look like in difficult days. And that led us to Oh, we also talked about real beauty. What real beauty was. Real beauty was not um, external, it was internal. And basically to sum the whole thing up, what he's saying here. Is, is not, he's not saying that you shouldn't, uh, it's, it's illegal for you or uh, um, sinful for you to dress nice and well jewelry. It's you shouldn't be spending more time on your external beauty 
than you do on your godliness, right? If you're spending more time in, in the mirror, buying clothes and doing your makeup than you are in the word of God, you're completely off balance, right? And then we talked about how beauty was deceptive, how it deceived men and women. And we talked about how, how that works itself out. And then that we ran out of time, which got us to where we are now. So does anybody have any questions so far, thus far? Okay, so we're in verse 5 and 6. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. Yes, ma'am. Um, is there any more hand? I know Tori made like 30 copies, so. Okay. All right, um, thank you. So verses 5 and 6 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So, in this verse, Peter is setting out examples. <clears throat> Peter is setting out some examples of women from the past who lived godly lives, and they were focused on their internal adornment, their internal beauty, rather than their external beauty. Okay, his reference here is to Sarah, here in verse 6, and it makes us think that the women referred to here were very likely not just Sarah, because he talks about her daughters as well, uh, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, the, the wives of the patriarchs. So in verse 6, Peter says that they were submissive to their own husbands. You are not <clears throat> called to submit to every man on the planet. Okay, you are called to submit to your own husbands, is what the scripture says. Okay. He, he emphasizes one particular aspect of their submission, which was obedience to their husbands, right? And so submission requires obedience. I know people hate when you say that, okay? But it requires obedience. The word in this text says likewise, and it's talking about wives submitting just like all these other aspects of submission that we talked about in the previous passages. So if your boss says, show up to work at nine o'clock, what are you supposed to do? Okay. You don't start laying out all your rights and all the independence that you've got as an employee. Okay. If your husband asks you to do something that's not sinful, you should do it unto the Lord, unto the Lord. Yes, sir. So, years ago, right, when I first started going to church, I was used to hearing the holy women, ungodly women, say, uh, I'll submit to my husband when he hurts me, right? Okay. See, now I go to church. You don't submit to Christ. <laughs> That's right. Right? So, I think we, we create a false dichotomy. Sure. So, okay, so when the Bible talks about, to answer, so what he, the point he's making is, is that um, there were women, ungodly women, who at, would say, I'll submit when you do your part perfectly. 
And then he went on to say, that's not true because you don't submit to Jesus and he does everything perfectly, right? So that's not really the issue. The issue is not that. So when you read the scriptures about what husbands and wives and the, and the duties that a husband have and the, do, or the, the responsibilities that a wife has, on either side, the Bible nowhere says do it if they're worthy. You understand what I'm saying? The, the Bible nowhere says love your wives as Christ loved the church if she's worthy to love. It doesn't say that anywhere. And conversely, it doesn't say husbands respect your wives and submit to your wife if he's worthy of it. It doesn't say that. It just says love her, you submit. That's what it says. Right? And, and I keep Oh, I keep like really just pounding this, trying to pound this into our head, right? You were saved. This is, this is Christianity. You were saved when you were unworthy. Christ submitted himself to the, the, the ugliness of this world, the wrath of God on your behalf when you were unworthy. And, and, and if you go back, we went back, remember, 1 Peter chapter 3 comes after 1 Peter chapter 2, okay? And he talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2 how Christ submitted himself to, in order to save you. And then he says, likewise, do the same thing. And then I'm going to keep repeating this. You picked him. You picked him, <laughs> right? If, he, if he's not a man that you can submit to, you picked him. Okay? So, you really don't have an excuse to not do this unless he's asking you to sin. Okay? Yes, sir. Yes, it's always internal, right? So I, w I talked about this a little bit too a couple sessions ago, right? So our job is to lead by example, man. So I suspect if she's not submitting, first of all, you're not supposed to be going around pulling that submission card every time she don't do something that you don't like anyway. That's just out of bounds, okay? I suspect the reason that she's not may, I don't want to completely, because women are just as capable of sinning as men are. Okay, but I, I will say this. If you have supplied her with a very terrible example of submission, don't be surprised if she's just submitting to you the way you submit to your boss, the way you submit to your elders, the way you submit to the government. Okay, so if, if I talked about this earlier, if every time your boss tells you to do something, and you start complaining and you start griping and, you, and you, it's just this constant back and forth, you're, all you're doing is teaching her how to submit that way. Okay? And that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Right? If you, if you are teaching her and telling her to do things that are ungodly and sinful and she does them, you're teaching her that it's okay to usurp God's authority. You understand? If you tell your wife to lie for you so that you don't have to, uh, to bear the consequences of your stupid decisions, right, and she does it, don't be surprised. 
do not be surprised if she starts to do that to you. If you sinfully withhold information, right, in order to avoid the consequences of some of the decisions that you made, men, do not be surprised. Because you're, all you're doing is leading by example. Okay? Don't be surprised. Okay? Did I answer your question? Okay? So the Bible, it is not your responsibility to make her submit. Am I making sense to you? You're supposed to lead her to submission. It is not your responsibility to be the submission police. Okay? Is, am, I, am I making sense to you? You're, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ led the church and lead her into sanctification. And you should submit in the areas where you have been called to submit to so she can see how you're supposed to do it properly. Right? Am I making sense to you? Okay. So then we're in verse 6, hope and fear. All right? <clears throat> um, it says, submission requires obedience. So in the entire orientation... So, so, okay, so we talked about earlier how being married is, it's an, you're changing your, the entire orientation of your entire life. There's never a time when you're not a married man. There's never a time when you're not a married woman, ever, if you're assuming that you are, okay? And so when you talk about uh, having this one flesh union, being married together, if, if, if it was, if I could, like, then I'll snap and make something happen. One of the things that I would do is that every marriage, the mission statement of every marriage would be, come let us glorify the Lord together. Okay? Because it should be a team working together, and that goal should be, how are we going to glorify God? Right? So when I choose a job, men, when you choose a job, or, or if your wife works or stays at home, or whatever you endeavor to do, it should not be, primarily for your own comfort or for her own comfort, it should be primarily how are we going to glorify God in every decision that we make together as a family. Okay? So when Sarah says here in verse 6 where it says, oh, I'm sorry, where Peter says, Sarah obeyed her husband and called her Lord, called him Lord. Okay, now that's just a term. He's not calling, she's not calling him Lord like God. It's more like sir or mister. Now, again, that doesn't I don't, I don't even know why I got to say this, but that doesn't mean that you should be going around calling your husband Mr. Williams, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sanchez. That's not what that means. It's just you should respect them, right? You should just respect them. Again, I don't understand why would you marry somebody that you don't respect. Just marry somebody that you respected. Young, like if you're not, if you're if you're single. Just ask yourself, is this a man that I'm going to be able to respect? Right? Because once you get married to him, he's yours. He's yours. Okay? So respect your husbands, ladies, even if he don't deserve it. Because that's what God has called you to do. Right? Now, men, that ain't no excuse for you to be sorry. Okay? Okay? You shouldn't even really be listening to this right now. Okay? God, God has called you to respect your husband. And the point is not that modern-day women need to call their husbands Lord, but they should, you should adopt an attitude or a posture 
of respect and honor for the man that God has called into your life, all right? No matter what the circumstances are. Remember, Abraham had to go and tell his wife, hey, God told me to go to some place and I don't know exactly where we're going. <laughs> you remember this, right? Hold on, I just need to get this point out. Abraham told his wife, God told me I'm going somewhere. I don't know exactly where that is. Let's go. I suspect ain't very many husbands in this room could pull that off. Right? If he says, God told me we're moving to fill in the blank to plant a church, and how many of, honestly, how many of you women are going to be like, let's go? No. I can suspect not many. It's going to be a whole lot of pushback. How we going to get there? Where the money coming from? What school the kids going to go? It's going to be all of these practical reasons why. You're not going to you know, obey him. If he wants to do something stupid, that's not sin. Ultimately, he's responsible for making it right. Right? And, you're, and now, again, this does not mean you're supposed to be silent, because Sarah was definitely not silent. Matter of fact, in this verse, this is uh, Genesis, uh, I believe it's uh, 12. No. Yeah. She laughed at him. Remember? She called him Lord when, the, when you're going to have a baby. And, she, and she's like, that's an old man. And she laughed at him. And then she, she was not quiet. Sarah was not a quiet woman. She advised her husband when he was doing something foolish. Right? Yes, sir. Right. So did everybody hear that? Nope. So she, she laughed at him, lied to him, lied to Abraham about laughing, and then the reason, but the reason why, he said that she, uh, Abraham led Sarah into lying because he lied a, a bunch of times. Yeah. Okay? So the point is, is just respect your husband, right? Hope in God. Don't put your hope in that man. That man's going to fail you if you put your hope in him. He cannot bear, his shoulders are not broad enough to bear what it is you're trying to put on him. Your hope should be in God, not in any man in this room. Okay? So you, owe, you do what the Bible says because God has called you to do that and put your hope in the fact that God can change any man's heart. And if you're single, don't marry an unsaved man. Hold on, hold that question. Just hold that question. Okay? So what I want to focus on here is this idea that the holy women of the past put their hope in God. So, listen, so what ultimately sustains a woman in marriage? No matter how poorly your husband leads you, a wife needs to rely first and foremost on the Lord, not on that man, the Lord. Okay, putting your ultimate hope in your husband is dangerous. Because that's a fool. He's a fool. You know how I know he's a fool? Because somebody had to die to save him. God himself had to come out of heaven to save him. Do not put your hope in him. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Okay? And Abraham is lauded as this great example of faith. But he's a sinner just like everybody else. Is he not? He messed up a lot. 
So here's what that means, ladies. The man that's sitting next to you that you're married to, he's going to do the same thing. If he has as much faith as Abraham does, he's going to sin like Abraham. Do you understand? Ladies, that's not an excuse for you not to obey the Lord. Okay? What is it that sustains Sarah or yeah, what is it that sustains Sarah through Abraham's foolish leadership? The Lord. She put her hope in the Lord because he was foolish. And your husband is going to make foolish decisions. You sh- How, who's been married here the longest? Has your husband ever made foolish decisions? There you go. All right. Now, Here's, this is something else I want you to look at here. He says, these women here are exhorted to do what is right. And then he says, he says, uh, you are her children if you do what is good or do what is right, depending on the translation you have, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay? Or uh, you are, basically he's warning you, don't give way to fear. So don't let fear, do not let fear move you to disobey the Lord, okay? So the the opposite of hope in this case is fear, okay? And fears oftentimes draw, fear can oftentimes drive us to do what is unhelpful and sometimes destructive, and particularly in a marriage context, that'll happen. If you don't trust the person, and if you don't trust the person you're married to and there's a lot of fear going on there, you're going to start not, you're going to start disobeying the Lord because you're afraid of what they're going to do or not do. Amen? Right? He's telling you, don't do that. Okay? Peter knows this, and he wants to give wives a strong caution against giving in to fear. Okay? Especially these particular women, because these women are married to unsaved men. So they, them, those women, more than anybody, are going to have this compunction to want to be like, I can't really trust him. I can't submit to him. He's, a, he's an unbeliever, right? They, they more than anybody, but I suspect that that's most of us, right? So giving in to fear means that ultimately you're just not putting your trust in the Lord. That's what that means. When you give in to fear, you're ultimately not trusting the Lord, okay? So what the word of God is calling on a wife to do in this passage is to hope in God. Right? If you remember a couple of sessions ago, right, we talked about the fall and how Satan seduced Eve and, and then Adam followed her. And the serpent tempted Eve by, over, by overrating what sin will give you. Understand what I'm, what I'm getting at? So if you're afraid, of do, you're afraid, you're in fear, you don't trust your husband, right, you don't want to submit to him. And then in fear, you disobey the Lord. So what you're looking for is security because you're scared. But Satan is going to always overstate what you're going to get. That makes sense to you? That little bit of security that you're getting from disobeying God, you, you're, not just, you're just not reading the fine print. It's coming back. Much harder than you can imagine. Right? So what Satan does is present sin as something that has some kind of substance, some kind of reward, some kind of contentment, and some kind of satisfaction or some kind of hope. 
And consequently, for those who believe his lies, sin and disobedience, you take it up as a means of hope. You don't trust your husband, I'm afraid, so I'm going to disobey God in hope that I can find some security. That is literally the opposite of trusting the Lord. That's literally the opposite of trusting the Lord. Um, you understand what I'm saying? Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay? So he's focusing his attention on the potential difficulties and the potential sin that could come from obeying God. Does that make sense to you? It is. Pastor Rollo said this last week. It's hard to obey God, but it's always right. It is difficult to obey the Lord, but it's always right. Okay? And if you remember, in Numbers 13, Moses sent the spies out into the land of Canaan, and all of them, except two, Joshua and Caleb, gave a bad report. Why did they do that? Because they were scared. This is Numbers 13, thir uh, 1332. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out saying, the Lori, can you get my glasses out the car, please? Thank you. Um, they spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to, um, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, oh, that's much better. The land through which we have gone to, to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so, and so we seemed to them. It, so it was fear of these giants, right, that caused the spies to make this bad report, despite the fact that God told them this is the promised land that you're getting. They didn't believe God. Why didn't they believe God? Because they were shook. They were scared. Right? And this is the very land, the land which they thought that could not be conquered and the giants that could not be defeated were the very ones that God promised them that he would defeat and in fact defeated them. Right? So in the end, listen to me, ladies, in the end, every person on this planet is going to bow the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay? If you believe that, right, giants become dwarfs before the Lord and his power, if this is the, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that's at work within you. That's what the Bible says. That power, it leads you, it guards you, even if you are married to a knucklehead husband. Do you understand? He is going to, hold that thought, just hold that thought. I'm going to give you some space for questions, okay? Do not, do not, do not let the fears or trials and difficulties make you fear that more than you fear the Lord. Christ is going to triumph, and his people are going to win. Do you believe it, family? Do you believe it? Okay? Okay, questions. Well, part of the problem is we, we, we don't believe our Bibles. Okay, you married a sinner, ladies. 
You married a sinner. He, he just, he's going to fail. Do you trust God? That's the question. Do you trust God? You watch too many romantic comedies and you think you're going to marry this dude and he just gonna, he gonna, he going to change. But most often not what's going to happen is you're going to marry him and you're going to find out things that you didn't know before. That's what's going to happen. You got to trust God. You got to fear the Lord more than you fear men in this world. Okay? So, men, listen to me. Are you leading? I need you to think about the ways that you are leading your wives that are actually causing them to be afraid. You should not be doing dumb stuff. You should be following the Lord, right? I'm not excusing her for doing that, but I'm saying, like, why? Don't make it worse. Obey God, man. Love your wife. Obey the Lord. Follow the Lord. Don't ask her to do things that are unbiblical. Don't put her in those types of situations, right? You got some responsibility in this. So it's, one, it's, it's a one flesh union, okay? Listen, verse 7. I'm going to jump to verse 7. I'm going to jump to verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen. So we talked about this section. What, one of the things we talked about was how, why people get so bent out of shape. It's because it's six verses talking about the wives, how they submit, so, so should submit, and one verse talking about the husband. Some misogynistic dude wrote this, blah, blah, we should just toss it out. But the reason why it's like that, right, is to, the reason why it's one verse, six verses dedicated to the wives, is to encourage those who sit under the authority of another person and to persevere in faithfulness. That's why he talked about submission to the, to the government, submission to other people, submit, slaves. Submit. It's like, this is more geared toward people who are the ones that sit under the submission. Okay? So, he's getting you trying to, the point here is to persevere in faithfulness unto the Lord. Right? That's why it's only one verse to the husband. But the verse he writes to the husband is very hard. Okay? He's not letting him off the hook. He says, listen, the word in the NIV, the word says, considerate. So it says, live with your wives in an understanding way. The NIV says considerate, but the literal translation is, husbands, live together according to knowledge. Okay? That's the actual translation. Live together according to knowledge, as closest, I think the closest translation to that is King James, okay? Live together with them according to knowledge. So, straight away, the obvious is here, right? Peter expects husbands to actually live with their wives, okay? Yeah, I have to say that, okay? I have to say that. You wouldn't think that is, you would have to state something so obvious, but y'all should be living in the same house, Okay? It assumes that you're going to be in the same bed because the word he uses live with, it, the Septuagint translated it in Deuteronomy as it's talking about sex, sexual intimacy. 
like physical intimacy, right? So it's like you should be living together within an actual marriage with this person. Y'all should have the same address in the same bedroom, right? That's what he's assuming here, okay? So Peter's assuming that physical intimacy is an element of the married life, right? That is a part of it. That's what he's assuming here, right? And sadly, it is necessary for pastors and preachers to spell out the implications of this. You you wouldn't think you would have to tell people this, but you do, okay? Husbands, loving your wives means that you should be living in the same house as them, sharing a bed and being physically intimate with your wife for her good, okay? Now listen, you can destroy a marriage You will destroy a marriage when a husband and a wife deprive each other of physical intimacy. Okay, you will drive a huge wedge in between that marriage. Separation weakens affections. Separation weakens affections. And spouses can drift apart over the years and physical intimacy has the power to rekindle our emotional attachment to one another. Physical intimacy is a binding agent, okay? It's supposed to bring you closer together. That's why you're supposed to only be doing that with one person for life. Amen? So not only are we to live with our wives. I'm going to move on because there's a whole nother. I got a whole entire session on this, right? So I'm not going to get too much into it. But not only are we to live with our wives, like the Bible says, but we are to live with them in a particular manner. It says, in an understanding way, okay? You're supposed to live with your wives in an understanding way. This is not talking about analytical knowledge. This is not supposed to be not just got facts about her birthday and who her parents are, okay? It's not talking about renewal. It's talking about personal insight. You're supposed to know that woman, okay? And that's going to lead you to love her and care for her in a considerate manner, okay? Think of it like this, men. You're supposed to study your wife and know her well, and you should be a very good student of your wife's heart. Okay? God has called you. Listen, some men make an excuse right here, because this is what they'll say. Oh, they just throw their hands up and they say, I just don't understand women. Well, God didn't call you to understand women. He called you to understand that woman. You don't got to understand all of them. Praise God, hallelujah, that you don't have to. You only got to understand that one. Right? It is not my job to understand Sheila Gillespie in this way. It's Marty's job. Does it make sense to you? And you need to know this woman. You need to know this woman. This command is very narrow and focused. You're supposed to have laser beam focus on this one. You're supposed to know her. Get off the internet. Get off whatever it is you're doing, video games and whatever it is you're doing, and learn who this is. Learn this woman so that you can live with her in an understanding way. You need to know her preferences. You need to know her moods. You need to know her weaknesses. You need to know her temptations. You need to know her needs. You need to know all of these things, men, so that you can care for her the way that God is calling us to here. Right? Then he goes on here and he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs 
with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So a husband is to, to uh, show honor to his wife as the weaker vessel. And again, this word that Peter's using as vessel is sometimes referred to here as the human body. In other words, what Peter is saying here is that simply, generally speaking, women are physically not as strong as most men are. And again, it's going to seem silly for me to say this. Of course, there's always an exception to the rule. Okay? Of course. Can I get that out the way now? There are some women that are stronger than men. We're done now, okay? Listen. Generally speaking, you're going to be stronger than her physically. Okay? Now, some people would stretch this out and say that uh, this means that they're emotionally more sensitive to men, I don't know, I don't necessarily agree with that. That don't necessarily gotta be the case, okay? Uh, and in most societies, women are economically dependent on men. That's just a matter of fact. I didn't make that up, that's just the way the world is. So men, you gotta take all of this into consideration. All of this you gotta take into consideration, okay? So weakness here is not talking about intellectual weakness. It's not talking about spiritual weakness. It's not talking about emotional weakness, but physical weakness is what it's talking about, okay? So we should never promote the idea ever, 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 ever. You should never hold this idea in your head and you should never promote this idea out of your mouth, okay? That women are morally, spiritually, or mentally weaker than men. It's a lie from the pit. They are not. As a matter of fact, a lot of women are smarter than a lot. Some women are smarter than men. Some women are more capable than men of doing a lot of things that men have been called to do. Amen. That's just a fact. Okay? So that's not what this verse is talking about when it says weaker vessel. So, men, again, you're called to honor your wife. Okay? You're called to honor your wife. She's probably weaker than you physically, which means when a burglar comes through the door, who's in the front? The man. <laughs> okay? On the contrary, listen, men, you have to honor this woman. You're not supposed to be looking at her when you say, when the Bible says she's a weaker vessel, you're not supposed to cast her off as weak in every area. You're supposed to honor her, right? You're supposed to honor her, right? because she's weaker. And here's what this means. Do, you're never, ever supposed to bully, threaten, or put your hands on your wife in any way. Ever, at all, ever. It's never acceptable, ever. Do you understand? Okay? You should never demean your wife for being physically less strong than you are. Okay? If you're trying to pick the couch up and she can't get the other end, don't make fun of her. Pick the couch up. Call your neighbor. Call Julian. He'll come. Right? Marriage is the union of two weak and sinful people, right? And even if that weakness and sinfulness is in different areas, she just happened to be weaker than you. With some, she just got less muscles than you. That's all. But it's quite very, might be possible that her brain muscle is a lot stronger than yours. Okay? So you're supposed to honor your wife. The husband is to honor the bride. The word honor here is the same word that Peter used 
in 1 Peter 2, 7, some translations say precious. You're supposed to view your wife as precious. Precious. You understand this, men? Precious. The honor or the preciousness that the husband must show to the wife is not only the recognition of her place in the marriage, but it is the honor that is hers on account that she is one of God's people. You understand that? That is God's daughter. That is God's daughter. If we husbands fail to give the honor that is due to our wives, not only would our fellowship with our wives be broken, but fellowships with the, fellowship with the Lord will be broken. Okay, that's the Lord's daughter. Okay, you have to treat her as if you actually believe that. That's why you're not supposed to be putting your hands on her. That's not why you're not supposed to be talking down to her. That's why you're not supposed to be cheating on her. That's not why you're not supposed to be looking at porn and doing all this type of other stuff, because that is God's daughter. And you're supposed to honor her like that. Do you believe it? I have a daughter, family. I, I, I need one phone call, just one, for her to tell me that, Dad, my husband ain't doing right. How long do you think it's going to take before I get there? Okay, so listen, men, this, that woman, if you're, you're, that woman is God's daughter, and you have to honor her as if that that is the Lord's daughter. You can't treat her any, you can't do that. That is a sign, that is a, that is a, that is a, that is a temperature of where your heart is towards the Lord if you treat your wife bad. You understand, man? Yes, sir. You're right. Yeah, listen, he said you're supposed to honor her as precious. You're supposed to see her as the weaker vessel, and your role is to guide her into sanctification. Okay? You should not be using your position as the head of that household to lord over her your preferences. Let me make it sense to you. That's not your role. Your role is to lead her to Christ. That's your, that's your job, man. And you ain't supposed to be putting your hands on her ever. You ain't supposed to be threatening her ever. You ain't supposed to ever be demeaning her ever. Right now, let me, let me, let me, let me explain that because we live in crazy town. Okay. <laughs> me telling you that you're sinning with an open Bible is not me demeaning you. Okay. If you're sinning, you need to know. He's doing his job. Okay? That's not demeaning you. Okay? We got to define things the way the Bible does. His role is to lead you into sanctification. And he's not doing his job if he's letting you sin. If he's letting you grumble, if he's letting you complain, if he's letting you lie, if he's letting you gossip, if he's letting you do all the things that the Bible says are wicked evil, and he's letting you do that, you don't have a good husband. He does not care about your soul. And I'm going to go a step further here. Right? He needs to be showing you how to submit. Right? He's not submitting to his boss. He's not submitting to the government. He's where, as unto the Lord and his elders. Thank you. I don't like to pull that card. But 
and his elders, if he's not doing that, or he's doing it in such a way where it's this constant back and forth, this constant jibber-jabber, jibber-jabber all the time, right? He's not leading you well. That's his job. So to answer your question, right, getting treated bad, we're talking about the scripture. Is it going to feel bad sometimes when you get confronted with your sin? Absolutely. If you out here gossiping and your husband be like, get off the phone and quit gossiping, you're going to not like that. You're going to be like, I'm not gossiping. I'm just praying for Sister Johnson. You're not going to like that. Are you? Probably not. But that's not you getting treated bad. Okay? Men, listen to me. If you fail to honor the, 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 your wives in this way, if you fail to honor your wives in this way, your fellowship with the Lord is going to suffer. The scripture says that your prayers will be hindered. That's what the word says. That's a strong word. It's mean like your prayers will be blocked is what it means. They'll become ineffective. God will literally do you like this when you pray. Right? Because you did not treat his daughter well. You did not honor her as precious that you were supposed to do. God will literally stop listening to you. That's scary. That sounds like, that sound like Romans 1 to me. You understand? That's what that sound like to me. If you mistreat that woman that God has given you, God will literally stop listening to you. He'll just turn his back on you and stop listening. That's scary, family. That is scary. You don't want that. All right, so a husband, you should treat your wives with honor, men. So listen, men, I just, I'm a man, so I can speak to this, right? Actually, I can speak to all of this because the Bible is saying it, okay? Listen, men tend to have trouble honoring weakness. We struggle with this. Amen, men? Okay? Generally, we tend to be more competitive. Generally, we, t- generally, we tend to be more competitive and want to overcome weakness, right? When we see it in ourselves and other people, when we see it in other people, you want to dominate, okay? If you ever worked around a group of men, right, what do they do all day long? They make fun of each other, right? And as soon as one of those dudes start getting emotional about it, what happens? Everybody starts. It's like, it's like chum in the water. Everybody just go crazy on them, right? Is that not what happened, men? Okay. It's because we have, that's, that's how you cannot do that with your wives, men, Okay? You cannot do that with your wives. You're going to turn your marriage into this adversarial thing, and you don't want that. Okay? Your wife, you and your wife, y'all are supposed to be a team working together in this one flesh union. And so the wife brings this nurturing, caring, supportive um, aspect, right? And that is indispensable to the family. Absolutely indispensable. We have D group at my house Friday. I got my grandson and my son on the floor rolling around, like literally like punching each other, right? And all the women in the room was like, please stop, don't do that. And I'm like, no, no, no. Y'all stop doing it until she leave the room because I kind of need you to be a killer a little bit under control. 
So that if anybody ever run in your house, you can protect your family. But you need to have that under control. But she's not like that, generally speaking. Okay? So men, you got to resist the urge to when you see weakness to try to crush it out of her. That's not your job. You need that from her. You absolutely need that from her. Because you will crush your children if you don't have that. You will turn your boys into psychopaths if you don't teach them how to love people. Okay? So listen. Husbands, you should honor and respect your wives' weaknesses. Now, when I'm saying weakness, I'm talking about physical weaknesses. And I'm talking about, so when we talk about weaknesses that they have in sin, right, you're not supposed to, like, applaud that. You're supposed to help them grow in sanctification. But at the same time, you're supposed to remember, God is sovereign, right? That woman that you have and the weaknesses and the sins that she has, God tailor-made that to sanctify you too, right? So the husband should honor and respect his wife's weaknesses, makes, make provisions, listen to me, make provisions for her temptations and her weaknesses in order to protect her and your family. Do you understand that? So that demands, one, you gotta know what her temp- temptations are, which means you actually gotta talk to her. Men, y'all gotta actually talk and have conversations. You gotta actually know what tempts her and then you gotta set your life up to prevent her from falling into that temptation. You gotta actually have a conversation, a real one. And I know some of us struggle with that, right? But you gotta actually talk to this woman. And then you gotta set up boundaries and parameters for yourself and for her, because she has temptations just like you do. And if you don't know what they are and you can't identify them, I can almost guarantee you she's swimming in them and you failed. Because your job is to protect her from that. So you gotta know what they are, and then you gotta build your life in such a way to protect her from those temptations. Amen? Okay. Young husbands, listen to me. Young men, young husbands, always make this mistake, right? You make this huge, huge, huge error, right, of thinking that the absence of strife means that everything is good. You understand what I'm getting at? The absence of strife does not mean everything is good. It just means there's no strife. You know how many conversations I've had with men, and I'd be like, hey, brother, how's everything going with your wife? He's like, oh, everything's perfect. And while she at home planning how she gonna divorce you, Do not make the mistake of thinking that the absence of strife means that everything is good. That's not true. Some of these older ladies will tell you, she ain't talking to you because she's thinking about how to leave. That is not true. Listen, my daughter was like six, arguing with my son. Some of y'all know the story. Arguing with my son, right? And my son was like, dads are better because they play football with you and they play catch with you and all this other stuff. And my daughter's like, no, 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 moms are better. He's like, why are they better? And she said, because when you tell your mom nothing is wrong, she knows something is really wrong. And my son said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of in my entire life. (laughs) If there's something wrong, 
why don't you just tell her? And I told him, son, just let it rest. You're never getting the answer to that question. So men, listen to me. The absence of strife does not mean everything is okay. You have to know the woman that you married to so that you can love her well and honor her the way that Christ says that you're supposed to honor her. That means you gotta actually talk to her and actually lead her to Christ. You gotta actually know her heart. You gotta actually, this is, your marriage, man, is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about making you happy. It's not about fulfilling your dreams and wishes. And it's not about satisfying you sexually. That's not the role of your marriage. The role of your marriage is to glorify God and sanctify your wife and lead her to Christ. That is your role in this marriage. And if you're doing anything to hinder that, please stop. Please stop. Amen? So we are aiming. So men, what we should be aiming for is not silence or the absence of strife. What you should be aiming for is sanctification and joy. Right? You want your wife to grow in the Lord. That's what you want, your wife to grow in the Lord. So when she grows in the Lord, what that produces in a person, according to 1 Peter 1, 8, says, joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Right? That's what you want for your wife. You don't just want silence. You don't just don't want her to shut up so you can watch the football game. You want her to know the joy of the Lord that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's the target, man. That's the target. That's the goal, joy in the Lord. Amen? So what that means is that you have to live every moment of your life thinking about how can I do things for my wife in such a way that glorifies God and sanctifies her. Amen? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we, we thank you, God, for your mercy in Christ. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have failed to do what you have commanded, O oh God, and that we have let our fear of circumstances and fear of man drive us away from finding our joy in you, O oh God. Lord, it is always better to obey you than to run away from you, O oh God. In your hand there is joy and eternal blessings forevermore. Lord, help us to believe those things. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen.